Hey, Megan, Dr. G here for yet another special guest Saturday brought to you by SPKN. We're here again to download, disclose, and discuss sports, namely basketball, with one of Stanford University's outstanding guards, David Mosley. Having played basketball for the Cardinal from 1996 to 2000, Coach Mose is originally from New Mexico, where he was crowned the Arizona 1996 Gatorade Player of the Year. Quickly becoming an integral part of the men's Stanford basketball team, Coach Mose took home the Pac-10 honorable mention, as well as reigned as captain for his senior year. Coach Mosley helped the Cardinal win two Pac-10 championships as well as a trip to the NCAA Final Four before heading to play professionally in France, Turkey, Hungary, Argentina, and Venezuela. Now the head coach at Woodside Priory in Portola Valley, California, we're looking forward to sitting down with Coach Mose. Coach, welcome to SPKN. Hello, thank you for having me. Thanks for being with us, Coach. It's nice to meet you. We appreciate yeah. you taking the time to join us here. So, I mean, my first question, too, is to start off with a nice chat, but, you know, tell us about your playing experience and then what got you into and transitioned into coaching. Well, yeah, first off, I was player of the year in the state of New Mexico. I didn't beat out um, Kobe Bryant for player of the year in the whole country. He was a little bit better than me. But, uh, you know, what got me started playing is I had a coach in fifth grade who said I was the worst player in the, in the, in the team and the whole city in the whole state and he said I was the only black guy who couldn't play basketball so that kind of drove me to be the best player in the state and then from there you know I went to Stanford could have gone anywhere but decided I wanted to match up the education with the athletics that was the opportunity that I saw in front of me Stanford was an amazing place with some amazing folks and competitors that drove me to, to higher limits a lot of professionals that ended up playing there a lot of all-americans so it was great. And then we did a lot of winning. So yeah, I did. I mean, then I played professionally overseas, which was an amazing experience from overseas. I went and, you know, went home for a bit. Then I came back to California in about 07. And I was working with a startup when Chris Williams, one of my old teammates, asked me to be an assistant JV coach at Menlo School. And my assistant was GM, assistant GM, Kirk Lakeup. So it's so funny where we started off at that point on the JV level, but I was also assistant varsity coach. We won a CCS championship. And then the very next year, the priory offered me the head coaching job here. I'm now assistant athletic director here, head PE teacher, and the boys basketball coach. I also coach football along with middle school sports. So I did do a little bit of everything. I call it jack of all trades, master of some. Yeah. You're like nice. Yeah. How yeah. many of those uh, languages can you can you actually uh, speak, by the way? Well, I'm fluent in Spanish because I'm from New Mexico. So when I was in Venezuela and Argentina, it, well, I was dreaming in Spanish, which was pretty fascinating. Wow. Uh, and then in Turkey, I picked up some of the language. Everywhere I went, I would at least work hard to learn the language. France, you kind of have to because even though they know English, when you're in Paris, they won't speak to you in anything other than French. That's the Parisian way. So uh, I'm pretty good at, at most of them. And I played two years in Hungary. So I, and you know, our school here at Priory is founded by Hungarian monks, which is why I think they found a liking to me. And so from time to time, I'll speak some Hungarian or Mayaru with them. And they talk back to you in that? <laughs> oh yeah, they all know it. <laughs> be fun. <laughs> that must be really fun. <laughs> so most people I think 
A lot of our viewers just assume that it's a, a pretty smooth transition from playing to coaching. Uh, did you did you find that to be just kind of a natural transition, or? You know, to be honest, it's for me, it's a miracle. I'm still even coaching at Priory after the debacle, which was my first year of coaching, being a head coach, being in charge of everything. You know, you're not really prepared. I don't think sometimes for the the kind of the logistics that go into it, the communication part with parents, with administration, with officials, you know, being a college player and playing professionally, these officials could, at the time couldn't, you know, they couldn't tell me what a foul was. I, hey, you know who I am? So, I mean, it was definitely a learning curve of like, hey, that's a regular guy. He too has problems and he doesn't want to hear me yelling at him all game. So that was probably the toughest part for me. But as far as X's and O's, I played under coach Mike Montgomery to this day is one of the best X's and O's coach I've, I've ever had. You know, when I was in AAU, I played for uh, coach Wisnett, who um, now coaches or who coached Sacramento Monarchs to a WNBA championship, coached the Lobos and Michael Cooper. That was my eighth grade coach. So we we're running high level stuff at eighth grade. So when I got to the high school level, it was real easy for me to implement stuff um, to do with, with certain guys. But probably the one other thing that was hard for me was adjusting to my players from year to year. Cause sometimes you have really athletic players. Some years you don't have athletic players and then you have to create a system that fits your players. I think instead of always making players fit your system. I'm just, I'm just so you got like, we're going to, we're going to have an easy chat here for an hour. I can tell that already, but I want to go back to real quick the this fifth this time in fifth grade. Who who yeah. who, who is this uh, interesting motivational person here that said you were yeah. sorry? Well, it was you know it was Coach Gonzalez. Okay, and the thing about this is we were the worst team in the league. We we're in last place, and everybody makes the playoffs. And then we went on a magical run, and the run took us all the way to the city championship for fifth grade, which was huge. So when we were in the championship plan, I had, we were down by one and I had been playing well. I got better the whole time and I got a steal and there was 10 seconds left and I went coast to coast and we're down one and I missed the layup to win the game. To win the so he then in turn during the huddle of the team said that to me, I guess in his anger, and that lit the fire, which got me, I think, to D1, right? It just lit a fire under me. I worked hard. I was like, I'm going to be the best. I started off, I'm going to be the best player in the city. Then I'm going to be the best player in the state. Then I want to be one of the best players in the country. And it was just every level I would kind of try to be better than that. So, yeah, that, that, that's what happened. <laughs> yeah. Not, not very positive coaching alliance, right? But, you know, would have, the, would have him being – supportive in that time had the same effect i don't know i don't yeah. know right so you know i always thank him for that i've seen him and i'm like i'm so glad that you and he's apologized for telling me that and i was like it was the best thing you could have done for me was tell me that at that time giving you know my background how i grew up i was really gonna have to fight for everything anyway so it was a nice uh, preparation for that yeah that's tough. Right? That's that's that kind of challenging coaching. That that's a, a a negative thing to say, or it's a hard thing to say to somebody. And it's a mo in the moment. You might not really mean it, but you say it, and you took it as motivation, or you used it to fuel. But there are other people too. If they would experience that, and that's the difference between probably you know a, a, a big time college or pro basketball player 
or pro athletes that they are able to cope and are very resilient. Whereas other kids would just say, I don't need that. I'm out. I'm not going to play for you. I'm not going to play this sport anymore. And I'm out of here. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, and it happens to a lot of kids. I know in, in my coaching style, I try to be the best of all my coaches and not, or all the coaches I've had and not the worst. Right. So, you know, I think you do kind of need to light a fire under them, but you've got to be very, very delicate, intricate, with what you say to the kids to, to motivate them. Some kids do need to be told, Hey, you, you're better than that. You need to get, get with it. X, Y, and Z. Whereas other kids, that's just going to put them into a bad place. So that's, you know, something over time that I think I've gotten a lot better at. And I mean, I tend to send kids to play at the collegiate level and prepare them for that. And I think sometimes they're not prepared because maybe I'm a little bit too nice. What, yeah. How do you decide how you, which you use with which player? Okay. So, yeah, no, that's a great question. A lot of it is, is that I do want to do a lot of team building with them. And I think when you're doing team building activities, you get to know the player and you, you know, other players will talk to, to that guy or girl and they will, you know, you'll get to see their kind of personalities and what drives them and what moves them. And then a lot of time is just talking to them about, you know, you know, what they want to do in their lives, what, you know, challenges do they have? I think at the high school level, what I love most about it, why, you know, I haven't tried to make the jump or uh, have turned down those offers is, is it's a little bit more purity. There's a little bit more of the life skills, life lessons type stuff. So I think it's a lot easier for me to do those things. Whereas, you know, when you're dealing with pros or the college guy, you, you can't step on toes or you're out. <laughs> Whereas in high school, you, you can nurture relationships, I think a little bit more. Can you, can you talk about that? Because I was thinking too, with all of your playing experiences from fifth grade on, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly that you've seen in coaching and then what you've taken on and what you've rejected. Yeah. So, you know, I think a lot of it too is we've over time have adjusted as far as letting the players themselves have a lot more say, you know, you take someone like a Steph Curry or LeBron James, they're a lot more free in being able to be advocates for this or advocates for that. We couldn't do that when I was, you know, coaching. I mean, when I was playing, there was one instance where we did, and we thought we were going to lose our scholarships. Pete Sauer, rest in peace. He's one of our teammates who died young playing basketball in New York City. You know, West 4th Street just had a, hit his head and had a heart attack. It was, it, was, it was devastating. But he was our captain when I was sophomore, or no, when I was a junior. We went to the Final Four, and he, we were practicing basically 40 hours a week. And if anybody knows that's against NCAA rules, you're only allowed to practice 20 hours a week. And so we weren't able to get our schoolwork done. It was too, you know, I mean, we were, I mean, it's Stanford, it was tough. I mean, just 40 hours a week on top of school is, it's hard. So he said, we're going to protest. We're going to not, we're gonna, I mean, this is in the nineties. You didn't do this. You know, we were, we were like, no, I'm not losing my scholarship. <laughs> and you know what he said, you know, we have to do this. We got to do it for the school. We need to do it for the other athletes because everybody's being overworked. And we just we just took a stand and it actually changed something. We actually, you know, had to sign that the coaches had to sign sheets that said, hey, you know, you're only practicing 20 hours. You know, now as a player, if you wanted to do more, you are now doing it outside and it wasn't deemed mandatory, which was great. And you know what? I for me, my grades went up. We, were, we, we actually won more games because we weren't overworked. It, it was it was magical. So, you know, that's 
what I try to take the coaching is listening to my players' voice a little bit more, even when they're when they are in high school, and not being the de facto kind of know-it-all infallible coach. So that was, that was back in the day where the NCAA twenty-hour limit rule was still in effect, but they oh, weren't doing. Oh, they weren't, oh. Yeah, it was in effect, but uh, okay. yeah. yeah, but there was nobody. There was no compliance. Nobody was checking on it. And... Exactly, it was, it, and the co- and you know, you felt pressure to show up to all the stuff, and you were just like, you know what, enough is enough. We need you guys to track it, and and it worked out. It worked out for everybody. Yeah, yeah, but you got that magical free ride to Stanford. You know, you only get to you only got to skip class and work forty hours a week. <laughs> There was no skipping class. Trust me there. They made sure. I mean, and, you know, look, if you're a student athlete, I think you need to be motivated to go to class and get that education. And that's what it was all about. Right. And, you know, I have the fortunate, well, I had the opportunity to have a lot of friends outside of sports that ended up being, you know, big time folks, you know, in the world, you know, whether it was, you know, my buddy who, you know, dated Chelsea Clinton, then they ended up getting married and I ended up being, you know, a groomsman at the way, you know, that's the kind of stuff that, I've went to Stanford to do is meet those kind of people. And, you know, you don't meet them and get to know them better if you don't go to class. So. How about, how about some of the other coaches too? What else did you, cause Montgomery obviously coached for 30 plus years, you know, had a, about a set, almost a 700 uh, winning percentage everywhere he was at, you know, what else did you pick up from your times, you know, throughout the world coaching or playing too, and then getting into coaching. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm coming back to that first year coaching as a debacle too. Yeah, so as, you know, it co- it goes down to, so remember when I said, you know, fifth grade, I was the worst guy. There was actually a turning point in seventh grade when I had a coach, Jeb, who uh, coached Larry Johnson at Odessa Permian. And so, and he was a JUCO coach and his son came and he was on our seventh grade team. And that was the B team. I made the B team. And he was such a great coach and taught me like so many fundamentals that I, we ended up like just destroying everybody and winning the title and even beating the A team. And then after that, that's when I kind of became a big time player. And that was one of the first great coaches that I had. When I went international overseas, I kind of learned more about how to be a pro and, you know, how much work actually goes into getting better. I never played point guard. I didn't play point guard in college. But when I turned professional, I was a point guard. And just learning that transition from the the shooting guard or small forward to the point guard position, you know, was work. Two-a-day practices in Europe every day with weight training you know you're you're playing an international style of game that's way different than the american style of game or at least it was at that time right and then you know so those coaches were amazing right because they were like really breaking down the x's and o's really breaking down movement they had a different way of conditioning which was a little bit more you know free-flowing and then it was a lot of work too i mean it was you know it's kind of like college on steroids in in regards to like how much you were actually training and stuff when you got to the game and you're only playing two games a week sometimes because I played in teams that played Euro League competition so what that would mean is if I played let's say in Hungary and we were in a, a Euro League then we would also play Germany or we would go to Austria we played some of the surrounding you know in a ULEB cup and try to win the cup so that was fun and then you'd play in your home country and try to win that championship as well so you're only playing one to two games a week so the other time 
you're practicing. And the coach is a real hands-on and being able to run systems and being conditioned and being in shape. So that was something I learned from overseas. And then let's talk about that first year as a debacle too. Like that's one of the interesting things, right? Is you get out of playing and then you get your, you get into coaching and you talked about being an assistant JV coach. Yep. And then so I was a head JV coach, assistant varsity. Right. And then, and then the first JV games. <laughs> yeah, I mean, talk about that, right? Like you, you like to think too, and it sounds like right. You, you're you, you kind of acknowledge some humility, like, hey, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. You know, I was yeah. a great, you know, great player, but I wasn't really fully prepared. And so that's one of the things Meg and I are really interested in is, you know, the preparation of coaches, and you know, what did you learn? How did you learn it? And 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 those that don't know too, you're an economics major at Stanford. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, you know, and I love strategy, you know, I love, you know, I played magic, the gathering, I played, you know, those kind of strategy games. I played chess. So I'm like, there's no way these guys can beat me. I'm, I'm smarter than them. I'm, you know, I can motivate better. Like the confidence level from player to coach, you just go in thinking, you know, it all. And you're not even thinking about things like school size. You know, our school is 300 kids. We played Bellarmine All Boys with 2,000 kids. We played their JV team my first game, or maybe my fifth game, and we got running clocked in the third quarter. And for California running clock, that means you were down 40 points. It is a mercy rule, 40 points. I couldn't believe it. They, they had a 5'10 kid. They were throwing the ball off the backboard. He's trying to dunk it. This is JV. This is my first year. I'm like, oh, what did I get myself into? And so that was that was a tough, you know, so then I had to put more research in. I had to, you know, scout the surrounding schools, kind of learn about more of the personnel, learn about the coaches, coaches' tendencies. You know, then when I got to Priory, it's a really small school. We're in a smaller league. We're not getting, you know, the top officials. I'm not saying that officials are bad, but you're not, you know, people don't want to drive out to Portola Valley in the middle of nowhere. So, you know, that was a learning curve. And then the coaches weren't bad. The coaches knew their stuff. You know, like, you know, Jason Peary was a coach. He's, you know, almost won a couple of state titles, won some CCS championships because in California, being a section champion is a is a big deal because you may not win NorCal, you may not win state, but if you can be a section section champ, that's considered a really, really good thing. So, you know, I've got three of those. I would like to get more, hopefully in the upcoming years, and get a NorCal and a state. But that first year I got in a in our in a game against our rival, in our second game in league, I got kicked out of the gym. I got double teed, thrown out. And that's when I, you know, my ADs who have supported me to this day brought me into the office and said, so um, we got to have a little talk. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And they're like, you're a little bit angry. And I was like, angry? What do you mean angry? Uh... And, you know, and it was a very humbling experience. It taught me something about administration too, like how you actually talk to someone to, to help them realize, hey, you need to internalize some of this stuff and look at it in a different way, you know, and, 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 you know, making suggestions like watch yourself on film. You know, what are you getting upset about? You know, are you yelling at guys for no reason? These are the, the, the things that, that I had to do and that I did. All right, so real quick, how'd you, how'd you get double teed up? What'd you do there? 
You know, we were, it was a close game. We're down to, I felt like I wasn't getting the calls and, you know, I'm like, what are you talking? And the thing is I'm very animated, even when it's not negative. Yeah, so yeah. that may look like I'm showing up. Cause I, and I got that from Montgomery, right? Montgomery was a foot stomper and I go crazy and all that. So that's what I did. That's what I was like, Hey, dude, Hall of Fame. That's what I'm doing. So I'd be like, you know, it would be six zero and you'd have thought we won the championship. Cause I'm like, yeah, let's go everybody. Woo! Like as a player, right. Pumping up, but you can't do that. You got to be way more calm. You've got to go with the ebbs and flow of the game and you got to save that stuff. I didn't know how to do that. And so the second time when I got the technical, I said something, you know, I'm not an F bomb dropper. I'm not, I don't curse, but I'm really good at getting under the skin, right? And it was just like, oh, man, I can't believe you missed that call, man. You, you want my glasses? <laughs> I'm like, that, get out of here. I'm like, I didn't even curse. I thought you had to curse and get kicked out of the game. But I was wrong. <laughs> what, what else? So you got coached up by the ADs in there. What, what else? What were some of the other ways that you learned? Like, how did you get better? Because obviously, you know, right, you've had a lot of winning seasons, too. Yeah, uh, so... so- you know, what I, what I really did to get better is I, is I wanted to become more of a, like I, as a player, I was a student of the game. Like I watched a lot of film, like, you know, Baron Davis is a way more athletic player than me, but I had to guard Baron Davis and I had to shut him down. So I watched a ton of tape on Baron Davis. What are his tendencies? When does he want to cross over? Which way is he going to dunk? Because I don't want to get dunked on. And what's the one thing that I can give him that we can live with? Right. And I would do that on my own. I wouldn't always have coach break it down. I'd be breaking it down. Be like, dude, if you guard Baron Davis, you got to play off him because he really can't shoot. And if he hits one, he's really not going to hit three or four. And then that, but that was against us, against other people who's hitting five threes and they come out and they start stunking on people. And so I took that to look more for systems. What system are coaches running? You know, do they like to go fast break? Do they like to often hit the offensive rebounds? Do, do they like to play pressure defense? Are we going to have to have a, a different press breaker inst- installed? And then the one thing that I've taken is I like pressure. I grew up in New Mexico and Ralph Tasker at the time when I was growing up was the winningest coach in the country, 850 something wins. And he, he's at Hobbs and in Hobbs and I've had to play Hobbs. They press the whole game. They press the whole game so everyone in new mexico presses there's a lot of pressure it's a lot it's fast break you got to be conditioned there's a team in tularosa the native americans where they'll where they'll play with no shoes on and they'll press you <laughs> and they're like unstoppable and you know and so that's the one thing that i love but then when i got here i, I, I couldn't press i didn't have the personnel and i also didn't kids didn't have the mindset like everybody kind of wants to really play fast until you show them what playing fast is. And then they're like, Oh, you mean we got to run this much? I don't want to do this. I don't let's know I just want to play offense. So, you know, how do I instill the kind of way I want to play, which is fun and entertaining, which is the other thing that I think has allowed me to be successful and and meg can attest to this because she was the creator of dunk city when we had a team that was so good that we were just dunking on everybody because we were playing that fast pace that i love and i had some horses that could play it and then the other kids got involved and started playing that same way and we won ccs title and we played super fast and we were athletic and we were fun and and, and that's the way i like to play 
<laughs> oh, and we had a six ten guy and a six seven guy, and that helps. <laughs> well, let me let me ask you a little bit about the other side, the the less basketball specific side, and that's culture. I'm sure you've had some some good cultures you played in, some not so good. I mean, what kind of experiences have you had that have affected the way that you've kind of developed your own culture in at the basketball program? You know, it would probably come from the hierarchy system and and it's in a good way and a bad way. When I was at Stanford and played, you know, the older players expected a lot out of you. And I think when I got there, I thought it was better than everybody there. And I was going to be starting from freshman year and I'm taking your spot and your spot. And I would tell them about it. And then the first real practice started that wasn't pickup. And, oh yeah, I don't know the offense that well. And, oh yeah, I don't know how to get through a college screen. And I was getting hit and nailed and, and, and just bullied, bullied, right? The guys are stronger, they're faster, they know the system and they don't want you taking their spot. So they're not, necessarily helping you either and I would probably say that was tough but with our teams that were super successful they also lifted you up all right we we need this we need you to do x y and z we need your athleticism now we need hey this is what you're going to do on the offense here this is you know there was a lot of communication and you don't always get that and when I had that at Stanford the way we communicated as humans because first off, we were really good teammates and humans and we didn't, you know, even different political views and we all got along and it was awesome. And I thought that was how it was everywhere. I'm like, oh, man, this is, this is great. And then when you go in the pros, it's not like that. <laughs> it's not like that at all. You know, I go on AAU tournaments or playing all-star games. It wasn't like that. You know, play at high level ABCD camps wasn't like that. So when I got to college and we went to the Sweet 16 and the Final Four and made the tournament every year and won Pac-10 titles, you know, you I would wish I could say it was a product of winning, but it wasn't because we didn't win early. We actually lost. And we lost early at Stanford and the coach was going to get fired. And then Coach Montgomery came in and he, he like started crying, started crying, started crying. And he's like, guys, I've given you everything that I got and I don't know if we're going to be able to win it, but, you know, I, I, he's like, I love you guys. And whatever happens, happens. After that day, a few things happened. One, I played a lot more. That was one. <laughs> and two, we came together as a team. We won six straight, seven straight games, almost won the title that year by one game, lost the Pac-10 title by one game and went to the Sweet 16 that year. The next year we went to the Final Four. But it was that moment where we felt like, all right, However we think about our coach, we got a band together for him. And it was one of the most genuine time, I bet most genuine he's ever been, right? And, and anybody who's played for Coach Montgomery knows he's not a player's coach, right? And, and so from him, I take the X's and O's, but I, from, I don't take the way he treated players, right? That's, you know, he wasn't really good at it. So, you know, I want to be more of a player's coach with his X's and O's. And I think that's an unstoppable combination. So how do you introduce that to your players then? How do you kind of instill that? It, it's team building. And and when I first started coaching, I didn't do a lot of team building. I didn't take the time to like, okay, this Friday where you guys are going to go all eat dinner together and you this person's going to set it up and you're going to do it. And then we're as a team, we're going to go bowling and I'm going to bowl too. And we're going to do, you know, I didn't do that early on in my career. 
And that's probably what's most important because it's really about the journey, right? It's more about the journey than the actual results. And some of the best teams I've had, it's all of the other stuff that last year, for example, one of the best teams I've had because they were so together, but we didn't win. We lost the champions. We lost by like three points at the buzzer to get to the championship game. We had a young team but they were together. The seniors, you know, had to sacrifice their starting positions for freshmen and sophomore that were just better than them. And the grace that it takes to, to see that, to be like, that guy's better than me, but can I, can I not have an ego about him being better than me and let coach facilitate their growth so that maybe we can all win as a team. I mean, that's the kind of maturity that I'm trying to teach these guys when they become men, right? Like, you know what? That guy's better than me. What, what am I going to do about it? Well, I'm going to work hard so that we can win as a team, you know, and that came from them, but it came from the team building. It came from me learning and, and Meg's got a, a strong part in this is when she was here, when I coached her son, we did a lot of team building. We did a lot of trips. We did a lot of being together and that, and, and ever since then I've made it of the utmost effort to do the other things. Because when I go back to my playing days, I remember our trip to Italy as a team. That stuff matters. Now I know why every college team does it. That's where they grow. You're not around the coach. You're just around your teammates. You're in a foreign country or foreign land and you're bonding. And, you know, that bonding piece is, it's priceless. It really is. You, you think you love, like, you know, right? Listening to you, I wonder, and, and, and preparing for our chat, do you love basketball? Do you love the kids? Do you love both? I love winning. I love winning. I do. I do. And, and I had a coach because I used to hate losing. I used to do everything because I hated losing. And I had a track coach come up to me and I hated track, hated track, but I hated losing. So I just did track. They asked me to do track. I was good at it. So I did it. And he goes, you need to stop hating losing and you need to love winning. And I had no idea what the hell he was talking about at the time. And I said, you're crazy. That doesn't make any sense. And he's just like, that's what you got to do. You got it. You know, and he didn't tell me exactly how to do it. And I just started thinking about it. And it was like, all right, I'm going to try not to hate losing. And what I did was, is I, is I took the losing as like, ooh, that's going to help me win. That's going to help me win. And then when I started winning, I just loved winning. I love the feeling that it brought to me a lot. I love the feeling that it brought to other people. And then I started telling myself, I'm going to win every day. I'm going to win when I wake up, man, I'm winning today. I woke up, I'm healthy. You know, these daily affirmation type things, that's the kind of person I am. That's why I'm pretty much always happy. And, you know, I've only had a few times in my whole life where I've not done that. And that's when everything bad in my life has happened to me. So I'm like, oh, daily affirmation, positive attitude i love winning i'm winning in life i'm winning every day and you know i'm winning to be here talking to you guys right it's such an honor it's 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 so awesome you know that you guys thought about me right so that's winning that's winning and if i can give the kids that so that when they're dealing with covid or they're dealing with all this they might not take it as winning but they're going to take it as like i'm okay today i'm going to make it i'm going to be fine right we lost by three points it's horrible but you know what i'm gonna, I'm gonna be okay and then the next year they come back stronger or they they're able to get over a breakup. And, you know, with, with all the stuff going on, I think that it ends up being more important 
then then the then the wins and losses are WLs on the sheet. Right. Yeah. So you love so you love winning. So why not you know right cut corners you know pass out some extra goodies to help people run faster and jump higher, find find some more recruits and bring them into the school. You know you, you can start pushing them a little bit harder and you know. If you, if how do you keep at bay then, or are you uh, winning at all costs, right? No, so you know, remember, I was the worst player on the team, right? So, and at our school, all are welcome. That's one of our things. All are welcome. So this place kind of found me, and I found this place because if I can go from being the worst player, then anybody can get better, and that's another thing that happened. I had to put into perspective that maybe not everybody wants to get as good as I got. Maybe they only want to go to here and I got to help them get to here, but they don't want to go to here, even though I think that they're way up here as a player. And so that's, that's tough. That can be tough at times. Right. But the winning at all cost, you know, once again, for me, it's about, it's about the journey winning every day, you know, you know, and I coach middle school and I coach kids that haven't, picked up a basketball you know I teach PE as well kids that don't even know how to run yet and so when they go from when I have someone in sixth grade who hates exercise who hates running who hates taking care of their body and then when they graduate and I'm out there you know two weeks ago and that same kid is running on their own as a college freshman just to, to stay in shape and feel good about themselves that's winning that's winning right so, so that so, so that's that's how I would would say it it's almost as if you're you're kind of redefining what winning is because it's not this you know winning the game is the only thing it's it's just winning each day because you're talking about an example of winning is being able to lose graciously and am i am i understanding that right yeah no it is it's it's winning it's winning you know and it's cliche everyone will say oh you got to win the right way but then people don't do it Right. So I've had games where we've won and I've felt crappy because I know we didn't do it the right way. Right. We, we, we cheated. We got away with a couple extra fouls. We, you we did this. We, I mean, you can cheat, you can cheat. Everyone can cheat. Right. You can grab a guy's jersey. You can be that. You can be a little dirty. You can, you know, there's, there's things that I don't want our guys doing to win that, you know, and I, and I don't want to lose, but I'd rather have them like really, really fight for it. Then, you know, here, I'll give you an example. Let's say we're 50 points better than the team. Then I want to beat that team by 50. I want to beat that team by 50. Let's see it. Let's say a team is 20 points better than us. You just know they are. I want to lose. I want them to lose by five. Right? Like, like I want to win the game, but if we fight our tails off and a team that's 20 point better than us beats us by five and we played the best game of our lives or we played as tough as we could and we can go in the locker and say hey that's a better team let's regroup and get the next one that's winning that's winning <laughs> i mean i mean i'm gonna get fired if i'm in the nba saying that but you know in high school they're going to get grit resilience and determination and those are the things that build intrinsic motivation that we do not have anymore. Kids do, it's hard to build intrinsic motivation in kids where they go out and do things on their own because they're micromanaged, they're play dated to death. They don't have the freedom to just go out and play pickup for 
10 hours. I, I don't even know how to get my kids to play pickup. Where, where do they go? Where do they go? Especially in our area, California. I mean, if you're in maybe Ohio or something, maybe you can go play outside, but where do you go? Can't go outside in Ohio. But <laughs> I played it all the time. I, my, my old man, I'll tell you, he put up the basketball hoop in the driveway. Yeah, you just go, like, but you probably had friends too to play with. Oh, to go all play the time. football with. Go, our, our kids don't have that, and that and that's hard. That's hard for them. So you know they're not getting that resilience built up because they get in an argument with somebody at the park or walking home from school. They get it at practice. They get the, these things, you know, being part of a team. And, and that's kind of what means I've got to pay a lot more attention. I've got to be more engaged, which keeps my job interesting, but, but definitely tough as well. Can you think about one of those times where you have not been able to reach that kid? You know, you talked about getting from here to here. You know, what, 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 what are one of those examples maybe of, of when you did or didn't maybe reach that one kid that put him over the edge or you're just like, man, just for whatever reason right now, I could not reach this kid. You know, we had, there was, you know, unfortunately we had a, a kid at Priory pass away when I first started working and, you know, I was really close to him. I coached him in AU. I coached him with Chris Weems, who, who got me started in the business and he would have games 6-8. He could dunk, he could do it all, very affluent. And, and he, I, he would have these games where he was the best player you'd ever seen. And then he would have games where he was horrible and he he had a, a substance abuse problem that we did not know at the time. And then later on, you know, did that. And that was a big reason why I stayed here is I said, I'm never going to not be there and know and know and know, be so engaged that I'm with them. And I know, hey, you're not going to get anything past me. Let's go get help. Right. And there's one day where, where this player came in and I noticed this, a smell of of an adult beverage and I, and I caught him on it and I just, and then I, after that, I never caught him again or it didn't. And so I, it left my mind and I wasn't there. I wasn't there. Does that make sense? So, so I knew like that for me, that's a player that I was trying to take and he got into North Carolina and he was, he was a recruited walk-on. And, and so, you know, you know, that's, that's why, you know, I'm, I'm in the game here at Priory because I think also everybody thinks you got to be, you know, in this part of town to help kids or that part of town. But sometimes in even the most influent part of town, those kids may sometimes need the most help because they're being overlooked and they're being told they have everything and they're being told, you know, everything's going to work out for them. Well, guess what? If your parent has a a lake in their yard, you're never going to get that on your own. You're never going to get that. So, you know, I want to be there for them to be like, hey, you can be regular and be okay. You can do this and be okay. And you can do that. And you don't have to, you know, put so much pressure on yourself. And that's being present. And I, I've done that with a lot. I haven't, you know, I haven't made, made it to every kid. And there's definitely been some of this, right? But for the most part, they all come back and they're healthy. And they, you know, they're appreciative. So I guess I'm doing something right. Yeah, I mean, substance abuse and addiction doesn't discriminate amongst, you know, the affluent or poor folk. And, yeah. uh, you know, when you see that happen in your, well, so we just, we, me and another student actually just wrote a paper about substance abuse too. 
and it's going to be in a, in a journal coaching journal called sport coaching review. But one of the things that you notice quickly is that coaches are not prepared to coach, right? When you, you know, take your first job or you're, you're going on, like, you know, there's so many things, unless you have a degree and maybe in phys ed or have, you know, been an apprentice and been yep. around coach, coach Williams and that you said, and, you know, you can learn on the job and reflect and get better. But one of the things that's really dangerous too and it can be life and life and death is that substance abuse. And when you've got a coach that doesn't, and I was, I'm not good at it either myself because we, we didn't have to get training or education or we didn't recognize signs and symptoms and referral. What do you do when you see it? Yeah. Dude, now the kids are spending so much time with, with coaches that, and, and I think coach Mosley in particular has been really great about developing that side of his of his toolkit as it were, but I don't think we as coaches ever had to be so on top of it as we do right now. Yeah. You gotta be a CEO. You gotta be a CEO. You gotta, you're, you're running a company. Um, you know, you're running, you know, and these people and human resources, right. Their lives kind of depend on you paying attention. And, and I notice when a kid has a bad day now, yeah. I can see it and I'll be like, Hey, you know what? If you're not hundred percent at practice today, I get it. You know, did you break up with your girlfriend? You having problems at home? And, and, you know, look, I'm not a therapist and I'm not a psychologist, but I think sometimes just them knowing that you care about them more than just as a player is huge. And I think if I would have had a little bit more of that at the collegiate level, you know, like, like at Duke, they love Shusevsky. Right. Like mm -hmm. what, you know, what's that secret sauce? Well, it, you know, they tell he cares about them. Right. And I, and what a lot of folks don't realize is that these levels of college, these coaches don't always care about their players. And so, you know, if you're going to get into coaching, you want to make sure that you care. You want to make sure that you're doing the minimum of learning X's and O's, learning the rules of the game and learning a little bit of communication skills to talk to the parents as well. You know, that would probably be the other toughest one for me because growing up, coaches were revered where I was from. Well, what? Coach don't need to tell us what time practice is. He doesn't need to send an email about what time practice is. What time did I say practice was at practice? Practice at five. See you tomorrow at five. You can't do that anymore. You, you can't. If I told Mike, if I, if I didn't send an email giving the week schedule out before the week or when folks could leave the vacation three months before the vacation time, forget about it, right? And I, and, and I, and I think there's a little bit of that piece that maybe, you know, that, that's important too. That's important too. And I think it, you know, there's a lot of the helicoptering going on with the parents, but I think that, you know, at the high school level, you can entertain that. You can entertain a little bit more of that and be a little bit more facilitating of their needs as well. Well, we've got to, we're going to have to have you come back because we're, we're running up on our hour, but mm -hmm. I, we, we could probably talk about parents for a long time. <laughs> no, we can't. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to have you. That's, 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 that's my, polit my politician. No, we can't. They're all great. <laughs> yeah. They all love me. I'm huge. <laughs> yeah. Not my, not my kids. Yeah. <laughs> as we, as we wrap up every episode, we'd like to ask if you have a coach story, whether uh, positive or negative, it's up to you that you'd like to share. 
It, and it just, just any coach story? Any coach story that had, I mean, I, you've already told the great one where, where the coach was like, you suck. Oh. <laughs> but you know what? You know what? Coach Garth. So one of my AU teams that I played in won the national championship and we were from New Mexico and we, you know, we had everybody on the team went D1. And this was a time at a time when you had five players that played and then played for five, played the first half of the first quarter and the other five played. So basically everybody played and the coaches had to be strategic about which group to play in which group, because the only time you could play the players that you wanted was in the lap was in the last five minutes of the fourth quarter or, or in the fourth quarter. You could play whoever you wanted, but before then, everybody had to play. And we played New York City Riverside Gauchos. We played Boston BABC. And the year I played was the first year they let upper underclassmen play up. So I was a junior playing against a bunch of seniors. And Coach Garcia, you know, I was like, holy moly, do I belong with these guys? You know, and he... He brought me aside and he, and he said, you're the best player on this team. You're the smartest player on this team. You're the best player on this team. You're going to be the only reason we win it. <laughs> and, and he said that to me at like the fifth or sixth practice. And the confidence that it gave me, I didn't think I was the best player on the team. I thought I was the best player in the tournament. But player in the tournament. But player in the tournament. In the world. That was, well, that was the one we won. That was in Phoenix. We went to Vegas first and we lost to Khalid El Amin's team. And he gave us five bucks for two days and we had to eat off $5. And we went to McDonald's and ate at McDonald's off $5 because we lost. And he's like, if you ain't winning, you ain't eating. And I know of a lot of coaches that be doing that in the AU level. Stop mm. doing that. Give them their food. Let them eat. Oh. Lucky for us, one of my teammates took a quarter put in the slot machine, want like 50 bucks. We're eating Big Macs all week. <laughs> it was illegal though. So we got them. Yeah, it was. It was. So yeah, there you go. That's, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> what I didn't tell you was that he said that to all of the players. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But and it worked. <laughs> Well, Coach, thank you so much for coming on. We'll definitely get you back, and we appreciate your time. So thank you. All right. See you. Bye, Doctor. Bye, Meg. See you later. Bye. That's great. Thank you, Coach. Thanks for listening. Make sure to leave us a five-star review and hit the follow button because there's more sport knowledge on the way. If you're interested in more information or want to engage in further conversation about these and other issues in sport, visit our website at spknmedia.com. To stay updated on all things SPKN, follow us on social media at SPKN Media or email us at team at SPKNmedia.com and we'll be happy to welcome you to the SPKN community.